Matthew chapter six, uh, in this series, Rethink Religion, we're gonna stay in this series, so Rethink Religion. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to grab those out. If you don't, put your hands up. <clears throat> if you could put your hand up, we have some mushrooms in the back who will come hand, I see some hand over here. So put your hand up if you don't have sermon notes. I want you to follow along today. Um, in this series, we're looking at teachings of Jesus where he invited his audience to rethink. This comes off of the word repent and the idea that whenever God says to repent, it's really an invitation to rethink, to change your thinking about things. And so Jesus teaches, obviously, all the time through the New Testament. We see a lot of that in the Gospels. And he's always asking and inviting the religious people of the day to rethink the way that they had previously thought. And so this is an invitation today to, again, rethink and I would like for you to rethink, the title is real simple, Rethink Fasting. And I talked to you last Sunday about that we were going to enter a fast. And so I'll talk to you about that today. But I want you to rethink fasting before I invite you to fast together with me uh, as a church body, as a church family. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 is where we'll start. Jesus is teaching. And uh, he says this in his, still his sermon on the mount. He's still preaching in that. And the context here he brings up is fasting. Here's what he says. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. Belonging to your Father who is unseen and your and. Uh, only who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And if you remember the very first uh, talk we gave to start this series was called The Secret Place. And so evidently Jesus still cares about what happens in the secret place and fasting also done in secret. And we see corporate fasting throughout scriptures. So uh, I'll jump into that later on, but just understand that there is something that he is pushing on when he's teaching this. And ultimately he's pushing on the motives of these people. He uses that word hypocrite again, which means actor. And he says, it's a motive issue. And sir, whenever you fast, make sure that you're doing it for the right, right reason. So I want to show you what being a hypocrite looks like as it relates to fasting, and I think what maybe maybe Jesus has in mind, and it comes from a story in Zechariah chapter 4. Now, Jesus is a Jew, so he grew up studying scripture. He would have known about these things. Number one, he's God, so of course he knows about them, but number two, he's very aware of previous history and Jewish history, and so Zechariah chapter 4, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Of course, we'll put it on the screen. You can make that reference note in, in your sermon notes. Zechariah chapter 4, and I want to read this to you. And it says, on December the 7th, we're going to start with verse 1, of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. Zechariah is a prophet, and he comes and speaks on behalf of God. It says, the people of Bethel, Shazar, and I'm not even going to try to do this one, along with their attendance to seek the Lord's favor. Normally I rehearse it, but I forgot to rehearse it. So whenever I do pronounce them right, it's because I've rehearsed them. So I didn't rehearse it, so I'm not gonna try. They were asked the question of the prophets and the priests of the temple, the Lord's heaven's armies, should we continue to mourn and fast each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction as we have done for so many years? All right, pause. So what you have is this nation of people who normally would fast on a Pacific day of a year called Day of Atonement, this was a typical fast that they were commanded to do back in the law. Jews would fast one time a year. This was something they were commanded to do to remember how God had passed over their sins. This Day of Atonement, the day that this place, the priest would enter the Holy of Holies. This priest would go into a temple. They'd enter the Holy of Holies. They would uh, 
confess the sins of the people before God. They would sprinkle blood on people and got real nasty and the whole thing. And, but they would do this as a way of saying, These, the payment for our sins are done. And so the priests would have this day and there'd be this fasting from sundown to sundown beforehand and this fasting time period. And this is something they were commanded to do. And so this is something they would have done most of the time throughout their culture. And so it's totally normal for them. However, following the destruction of the first temple, which is what he's alluding to here on the anniversary of the temple's destruction, in Jerusalem, 586 BC, the Jews who were exiled instituted four fasts to show respect and to remember four key events of the destruction of their first temple. And it was one on the day of the, the Babylonians came in to destroy the first temple. And so when they destroyed the first temple, they began to um, siege it, and they began to have a fast on that particular day to remember the day that the Babylonians began to siege. Then when the walls were broken down, it was a different day, and then they would institute eventually a fast to remember or to commemorate that day. Then another day they started a fast when the temple was burned, and then eventually when the governor was assassinated. And so they ended up having these four separate fasts, not as a command from God, but as more of a tradition's sake that they would do to remember these special events when the first temple was destroyed. And so that's why he says, you know, on the anniversary of the temple's destruction. So the question they ask is, should we keep on fasting? Should we keep fasting as we have done for so many years and the reason they're asking that is because now the second temple is being rebuilt. So do we have to keep on fasting? Then God answers and tells Zechariah how to answer the question. Do we got to keep on fasting? We've been doing this. Do we, can we stop now? And this is where the answer comes in, verse 4. The Lord of heaven army sent the message to reply. Say to all your people and your priests during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourn in the summer and in the early autumn. See, they were creating different fasts. Was it really for me that you were fasting? And even now in your holy festivals, aren't you eating and drinking just to please yourselves? Here's why this, I think, matters for us to understand to know. When the previous first temple was being destroyed, religious leaders were told that their observances had to come from the heart. God was always prompting the Israelites that everything they did was a heart issue. It wasn't about sacrifice as much. In fact, in 1 Samuel, he says that obedience is better than sacrifice. It's your obedience that I want. It's not your sacrifices. In other words, God is constantly probing on the heart of the matter, not so much on the religious duty or the religious actions. He's constantly probing on the heart of the people. Tradition in of itself is fine, but just keeping tradition for tradition's sake without a heart attached is meaningless. It's hypocritical. I want to push into that to help you understand when he says this word hypocrite. Remember in Greek, we understand it's this word actor. It's meaningless. It's pointless when all you do is a religious duty without a heart attached. So they're saying, hey, can we stop their tradition? And Jesus is saying, you weren't doing it for me from the very beginning anyways. God is simply at the, you weren't doing it from, you were doing it out of tradition, but none of it was ever really for me in the first place. I mean, was it really for me or was it out of tradition for tradition's sake? And he's pushing on this and he calls them hypocrites, calls them actors. In other words, what you're doing is pointless. 
If you just show up to church to show up to church, let's say in a gathering setting like this, just to show up to say that you showed up, that you went, it's pointless, it's meaningless. It's hypocritical, it's an actor, it's a front. Where's your heart? Jesus is always probing on the heart of his people, not so much on the religious duties of his people. Verse eight says that the message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly, show mercy and kindness to one another. Isaiah, I think it's 58 or 53 that talks about the fasting that God wants to show mercy and justice and kindness to the poor and the brokenhearted. Anyways, here he continues with the same thought. Do not oppress widows and orphans and foreigners and the poor and do not scheme against each other. Do not plot evil against each other is what he's saying. Verse 11 Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. They made their hearts as hard as stone so they could not hear the instructions or the message of the Lord's heaven's armies had sent them by his spirit through the earlier prophets. This is why the Lord of heaven's armies was so angry with them. They fasted because of the destruction of the temple but they never repented of the sins that led to the destruction of the temple. Did you catch that? Yes or no? It's okay if you say no. All right, I'll say it again because I'm gonna take your silence as no. All right? So, sins lead to the destruction of the temple. The Babylonian empire rises up, destroys it because God says you're not following my commands, you're following pagan gods, you're allowing a whole bunch of sin to enter into your land, so because of that, this is what's going to happen as a result. And then they go into a season of fasting and they fast because of these different events and time and history. And then the second temple is rebuilt. Now do we have to keep on fasting? And God says, see, you still have a problem. I still don't have your heart. After all these years, I still don't have your heart. So would you just look back for a second, look back at your ancestors, look back at history and solve them what got in trouble in the first place. It's the very same thing that you're doing now. What happened in the first temple got destroyed and eventually the second temple is gonna get destroyed for the very same reason because you're not listening to me. This is not about religious action. This is about a heart issue. And, and they fasted and they prayed and they did these things, but I never had their heart in that whole entire, and that's why this came. That's why I'm frustrated. That's why I'm angry with them. So don't make the same mistake. This is a heart matter. And they never repented of the sins. They didn't rethink the sins. They didn't turn from their sins. Instead, they kept doing in their sins. They were performing religious duties, but then while at the same time, doing whatever they wanted to do and living how they wanted to live. In our context, you've probably heard it on a Sunday or, or church sermon before, that they showed up to church service, but then Monday through Saturday, they did what they ever wanted. God was on their mind on Sunday, and then after that, he was off their mind. There was no real relationship, per se. They were religious without a relationship. No relationship, just religion. Jesus is making an invitation to rethink that whole thing. And so later on, Jesus gives gives the teaching that we just read in Matthew 6, where he talks about fasting. So put that verse back up if you can, Matthew 6. And with that context in mind, with these hypocrites in mind, with that history in mind, he's talking to religious leaders and Jewish leaders, and he says, when you fast, don't look like those hypocrites, like those actors. Don't do that, no, no. They disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. They're just trying to show that they're religious for religion's sake. And so they put the bumper stickers out and they do all that stuff and they brag about how they're living and stuff, but really their hearts are far from me. Verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face. 
that will not be obvious to others who are fasting. In other words, do it in private, do it in private, do it in private, because God pays way more attention to who you are in private than who you are in public. He says, but only when your father is unseen, then when you search him in secret, when he sees what's done in secret, then that's where your reward is. There's something about going away and being in secret. So when Jesus asks or talks on fasting, he has people like this in mind. Don't do it for tradition, to win the approval of others, or look more religious. So I want to give you four reasons why we fast. You can write this first one into your note. Number one, it denies me. And I put this in context of you and, and me. So I put the word me to make it personal to you, I hope. So when you take this into your notes, I hope you understand that four reasons why we fast. Number one, it denies me. No to me and yes to God. I saw this from one of our church members posted this or something. You can't say yes to Jesus if you can't say no to yourself or something like that. I forgot how it was, but... The statement came across this week to me. You can't say yes to Jesus if you can't say no to yourself. Deny yourself. I want you to read this with me, Matthew 16, 24. We'll put it up. That Jesus said to his disciples, his Talmudim, that's what it is in Hebrew, his Talmudim, his Talmud, T-A-L-M-I-D. Listen, his Talmudim, these are people who wanted to be like him. They didn't want to be religious people. They wanted to be like him, live like him. I've talked about this word multiple times I almost titled the sermon today, Rethink Disciple. You know, so many times we use this word Christian in our, how many of you have ever heard the word Christian? Christian, 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 Christian. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Raise your hand if you're a Christian. Are you a disciple? Raise your hand if you're a disciple. Okay. How many of you don't know if you're a disciple, but you want to be a Christian, but you're not sure if you wanted to be a disciple? How many of you are a disciple of Jesus? A disciple of Jesus. How many of you are a Christian of Jesus? Christian, you're a Christian. How many of you are confused? Don't know yet. Okay. Anybody want to be a Christian? Okay, not sure. All right. So listen, you might want to rethink this. His disciples wanted to follow him and be like him, live like him, and leave everything behind. So Jesus makes the statement about being a disciple, not a Christian. He says, this is what a disciple is. And though you want to put yourself under my teaching, this is where you start. Deny yourself. Now watch what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay? It says in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. To take up one's own execution stake is to bear the instrument of one's own death. Let me just tell you this. The call of Jesus for his disciples, so, so you can rethink this, is come and die. That's the invitation Jesus gives to those who want to follow him. Come and die. That is not how we have it preached in our churches, right? Come and live. Sure, eternal life, but the invitation Jesus makes is come and die. It denies you. It becomes way, way less about you and way more about him. It's no to me. It's no to me. It's no to me. And it's yes to him. 
This is the invitation that he makes. Fasting denies us. It's no to me. This is what fasting does for you and what fasting does for me. It teaches you to be not about yourself. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you had to be taught that. It's not about you. None of you came out of the womb saying it's all about other people. You had to be taught that, timed out that, maybe in the 80s, 90s, 70s, spanked that, I don't know. But, and many of you still think, and I still struggle with, isn't it about me? But what about me? Peter even said, but what about me? And then he said, what about him? Remember that with his buddy, John? Fasting denies me. It removes me and my plans and my dreams and goals from the equation. And it brings all attention on God. It denies me. Number two, recalibrates me. You can write this in your notes underneath it just to help remember fasting reminds us to hunger for him more than what we can get from him. To hunger for him more than what we can get from him. Recalibration. Our time, our energy, our priorities. You think about recalibrating something, getting things in order, getting things in the right place, making time and putting it there for him. It readjusts priorities in our life and where where we're off track. Priority is a tool, if you would, that God, I think, gave us like the Sabbath to help us reprioritize. I don't know if you know this, but the Sabbath is not for God. The Sabbath was given for you. It's a gift for you. It's not for him. Fasting isn't for him as much as it is for you. It's a recalibration of the soul. It helps you take a step back, readjust, refocus. Think about how things are getting out of order in your life. Number three, it aligns me. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6 when he talked about prayer. It was all about the will of God, that we say no to our own will and yes to his will. It's what he wants. It's what you want for me, Lord. Like, what do you want for me? What can I do for you? I heard this statement this week. God's no is better than his yes because his no is a better yes. Jesus said to follow him is a place God's will above our own. To be passionate about what he's passionate about. One of the things that I've been asking God recently, this is uh, me personally, I've been pleading with the Father to help me to love people the way that he loves people. I found myself in moments of my life saying, God, please let me love people the way that you love people because I find myself sometimes getting caught up in other things that, that can get in the way of me loving people first. So make it about people. And so driving even in today, this morning, something has shifted in my heart out of that prayer. And I just kept thinking, Lord, bless your people today. 
not the church per se, but like the people. And I've been asking him to give me a heart more for people. It's about aligning my heart to his heart. Not as about him getting a glimpse of my heart, like, God, can't you just think more like me? That would be really bad. God, can't you, you know, feel more like, no, I want to be more like you because I'm Talmudim, I'm disciple. You're rabbi, I'm student. I want to be like you. So help me to think like you think. Help me to be passionate about what you're passionate about. It's giving up, denying myself, and putting myself in his hands. It aligns us to his will. Number four, it prepares me. So I want you to think about it like this. Fasting denies me, recalibrates me, aligns me, and prepares me. Multiple times throughout Scripture, you'll see people fasting. Jesus evidently supported fasting because he clearly states it when you fast. So there's an expectation of fasting. But prepares me. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is the book of Nehemiah, a great leadership book. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah begins chapter 1 with a, a fast. And he finds out that the walls are destroyed in Jerusalem and he's broken down by it. And the people are not regathering, doing what God is calling them to do. And he weeps over it. You can read this in Nehemiah chapter 1. And he begins to fast and mourn and pray. He's like, God, please send me to do something. And he begins to have like a heart anchored to the heart of God, like they're attached, that the hearts are the same. They're passionate about the same thing. And of course, God eventually sends Nehemiah to go fulfill what he's called to do. Esther. Esther, we know many of the statements that you see on, on signs or something like that, you know, that for such a time as this, you were born for such a time as this. But the only reason why you even understand that statement or see that statement posted on a sign somewhere or put in someone's house is because a woman at one point denied herself. In fact, she was willing to be killed for her faith. When she walks up to the king, she knows that this could be the end. But she says, if I die, I die. This is a woman who was willing to deny herself and every part of herself for the sake of of the people that she was trying to save the Jews. You would never see that sign or hear about that for such a time as this line if it wasn't for a woman named Esther who was willing to deny herself and say, Lord, whatever you see happen, let it happen. He was preparing Esther's heart for all that he was going to do through her. Israel, all throughout Israel's history, you'll see preparation, that fasting was leading to preparation. Write this in your notes. If you would, fasting prepares our hearts for what he has for us. Fasting prepares our hearts for what he has for us. So that's really the tension or the talk through the, the teaching of the sermon. And the rest of our time, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's happening in us personally as a church, what's happening in me, and why all of this is being spoken in this uh, specific time. So... Um, a few months ago, I was with our staff and uh, one of our staff meetings and was just praying through, you know, normal stuff, praying and about the church and different things and direction and started to feel in my spirit again. Many of you know that we've looked at land multiple times over the seven years we've been in existence. Um, and February will be our eighth year birthday. Um, so that's exciting. But 
uh, we, we've looked at land and kind of backed out at certain times because we felt like the Lord was leading us out of that contract and then we did it again and kind of backed away from it. And so really was just talking with the church staff and I said, man, I really feel like this, this, this is the year that God's gonna do something. I don't know what that looks like. And I'll explain exactly how this came so you understand the context. Um, do you remember the series we did just recently called Get Rooted? Oh, gosh, I hope so. That was just a few weeks ago. <laughs> just a couple weeks ago. Um, so uh, a few months ago, I think it was in August, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so around that time, we did a series called Get Rooted. And I was in the back. And uh, all summer long, I was reading, and the word rooted kept coming up, get rooted, get rooted. And it was like in different books and different things I was reading. It just kept coming to me. And I knew that I had to talk on get rooted in August and, uh, and it was a calling as a church, certainly, to get rooted in the things of Christ and get rooted in Christ. And many of you relocating and moving and things, just get rooted. You got to get planted and not church hop and church hop and church hop, but get planted. Do you remember this? Get rooted. And I brought, you remember the planter I brought up on stage for a couple of weeks? And then they stopped appearing because you all wondered if they died or not. That's what, what happened. But remember, you couldn't even see the plant. Do you remember this? It was like, it was, it was like brand new. You couldn't even see the plants. I was supposed to bring them in today and I totally forgot them. And, um, but if you were to go outside in my house, you would see that they are flourishing and growing. I'll come back to that in just a second. So, uh, so anyways, during that series, I was in the back talking to one of, uh, one of you in our church and uh, in a conversation, and a statement was made to me by one of you, and um, I was like, yeah, you know, this is kind of our history, and I, I was telling this individual that we were looking at a piece of property and some land, and uh, I said, but I don't really know, you know, if this is the, it or not, and, you know, where is it at, and I kind of told her where it was, and she says, you know, it's really interesting to me. I said, yeah, she goes, in the past seven years, God has, you know, uprooted you and then replanted you and uprooted you and planted you, and I was like, and as soon as she said these words, it's just right out here in the hallway, it was like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to get rooted. And I didn't think about us as a church that whole time. But in that moment, it felt like the Holy Spirit kind of birthed something in me that I think he's wanting us to get rooted. But this is not so much about just you getting rooted as much as it is that he's wanting us to get rooted. And I started feeling in that moment that we were supposed to go into a church-wide time of prayer. So I go to a Tuesday morning staff meeting and chatting with the staff, and I said, I feel like, and I'm just kind of investigating with the staff sometimes. Of course, I'll do that. I'll say, are y'all feeling this way? Y'all thinking this way? And anybody else have any, you know, things to add to this or, you know, whatever it may be? And I said, I think we're supposed to go in October into a church-wide fast. I think God wants us to pray and ask him for land. And a few weeks before that, Kendra had done a devotion about um, how the father loves to give good gifts to his children. And that had kind of spoken to me a little bit in different ways. And, and so anyways, I was there and I, and I felt like, yeah, I think we're supposed to go on this fast thing. So we actually did, a few of us did a 40-day fast prior to, to this conversation, just seeking the Lord out. Dude, is this what you want us to do? And so we fasted about the fast. And so uh, that's not... Look at us at all. That's just saying we were trying to take it in prayer of, of what does God want to do. And, um, and so some of that comes, some of this today comes from that place that we don't have a specific piece of land per, per se, although there is one we've been looking at, but, you know, nothing to, 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 to talk about today necessarily, but just felt like the Lord wanted us to get into a time of fasting and praying together. And, and here's the big reason why I felt 
like this, and I've told our elders this, I told some of my oversight this. I said, I could pray and fast for land, but then if it happens, you will miss out on the journey through it. So I believe that God wants us all to fast and pray, and so that whenever he does whatever he does, you will all be a part of it with me, not just me. Does that make sense? And so I thought, I want to invite everyone to do this with me. So then whenever he responds, I'll be like, I told you, see, isn't he amazing, you know? And it won't be just kind of my story, but it'll be our story. Is that okay? Does that make sense what I'm saying? So you say, where am I headed with this? And, and I'll make sure that I help you understand context again. So I'd like for us to, I'd like for you to join with me into a 21-day season of prayer and fasting and here also has been in my heart, and this is a little bit of a ramble and a free talk, I know, because it's not really much in context, but what happened? So again, go back to that get root of the planter. So the other day I was on the back porch and uh, wherever those planters are, and uh, all of those plants are growing. One died, <laughs> but not gonna lie, one died. And, uh, but, but five, five are good. So we're, me, and, me and Chris are doing good. We feel good, five out of, five out of six isn't bad. So, but... But um, yeah, so I was going to bring them in today, and they're flourishing, and there's jalapenos, and there's banana peppers, and we just harvested some for the first time, and they came off and, you know, ate them yesterday, two days ago, and, um, and so you could see them growing and flourishing, and I think it was a picture of what God wanted to tell us, and, and it's just a picture as he likes to teach in oftentimes. If you're wanting to flourish and grow, you're going to have to get rooted somewhere else because this planter cannot contain you. Here's the lesson, right? If I were to pull that plant up here today, and you would see how it's overgrowing the planter that it started in, if we want it to produce more crop, we're gonna have to take it out of this planter and put it into a larger one. If not, it will stifle and stunt its growth. What I'm saying to you as a church, and I think the lesson is, I think a season is coming for Brave Church is, if you want to see more harvest, you're going to have to get planted somewhere differently that allows for that expansion to occur. But with more expansion comes more work. I was telling my kid this the other day, my daughter, about what you sow is what you reap. And I said, hey, if you sow one seed, you know, and I was just making up, you know, whatever vegetables or fruits I could come up with in the moment. But if you sow one, if you sow for one apple tree, how many apples will you get? Enough on one tree. I said, yeah, but if you want two apple trees, how many seeds you get? Two. I said, but what if you have a thousand or ten thousand, you know, trees that you plant? You think it'd be harder to take care of ten thousand trees in one tree? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, how many apples do you want? It was the principle of sowing and reaping that stands true for the test of time and how God created the world, sowing and reaping. And if you want to reap more, you're going to have to sow more. The work comes. And I just been feeling this, and I say this to our church, I don't want us to ever be complacent as a church. I want us to be content, not complacent. Two different things. You can be content with what God has given you and say, God, I'm grateful for what you've laid before us. I will be content. But I don't want to fall into complacency. Satisfaction often tides breeds complacency. When you get satisfied, you get complacent. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6 get satisfied with what God has given them, and then they get complacent with that. We can get complacent if we're not careful. God, this is great. We're good here, right? Let me just tell the, for, let me speak on behalf of Jeremy and the entire setup town team, teardown team. No, 
Amen? Like, no. No, this is good. This is nice. We have a couple hundred people. It's not too big. It's not too small. It's just right. This is good right here. Little room, little setup. This is nice. Again, man, you talk to the production team, hanging those lights, all the stuff that has to go wheeled in and wheeled out, and all their wives are at home or spouses or husbands are at home watching kids while all that's happening. No. You know? But if we want to see growth within our own church body, not numbers for just numbers' sake, more salvations, more people coming to faith, more relationships being connected to Christ, we're gonna have to come out of that small planter, get put into a bigger planter, which just requires more work, not less work. Different work, but, but more work in of itself. And so before God calls us to do whatever he calls us to do, and I don't have any true leaning. I was talking with Pastor Joel about this. I said, I don't know, how do I pray for land and fast for land when we don't even have land? And so I was like, you know, I, I'm just gonna do this. He says, he, Pastor Joel, when I were tired, he's like, just tell the church what you're thinking. I was like, all right, I will. And here's what I wrote down. I have no idea where God's leading us. <laughs> I was, and I asked Joel, I was like, Pastor Joel, can I say that? He's like, absolutely. I'm like, thanks. I have, all right. I have no clue where fully God is leading us. I don't know but I do believe he's calling us into a season of fasting because it'll prepare our hearts for whatever he has for us. And that's what I'm asking you to do is join me in a time of 21 days of prayer and fasting just to allow God to speak to you. Let me give you a quick acrostic on fast. I, I got this and uh, I think it's great. David Platt's Radical Church uh, or Radical Ministry, but McLean Bible Church. Anyways, uh, acrostic on fast. Fast is focus on God. Go to the acrostic real fast. Focus on God, abstain from food, substitute time, taste and see the Lord is good. Let me just unpack that. Leave it on the screen so you can write that in. So focus on God, that fasting we see in Matthew chapter six, obviously fasting is where we focus on God, not on ourselves or on what we want. That's not the point of the fast. It's not a like, ooh, we're gonna fast and we're gonna get it now. So no, this is focus on God, not on me. I deny me. I focus my time and attention on him and what he wants. Abstain from food. All through scripture, you'll see different types of, but predominantly, it's abstaining from food. Now, obviously, if medical conditions and pregnancies and things like that, then you might wanna reevaluate and, and fast something else that's significant. But please don't fast like I'm fasting the sweet and low in my tea, you know? It's like, really? I mean, some of you can come up with a lot of crazy things to fast. And I don't know if like that's a fast, Okay. Come on, like, surrender. Do we need to sing the song again? Like, surrender, okay? Abstaining from food, but there's different kinds of fast. So if you go on the very bottom of your sermon notes, I put it there, wearebrave.church, our website, slash fast. And there's a description of all the different kinds of fast that you can participate in. Partial fast, full fast, vegetables, you know, whatever it may be. But all that information is on our website. It's easier for you to go read about it, learn about it there. And if you have any questions, our, web, our email address is there. And you can email us if you have any questions about fasting. And we'll, we'll do our best to answer them. All right, substitute time. This is one of the most critical mistake I see people make. And I've made myself over years. But substitute time. Fasting is not going without as much as it is replacing whatever you're going without. So if you don't replace it with the time with the Lord and all you're doing is dieting, this is not a diet plan, okay? This isn't like just go without food. It's to substitute that time with the Lord. Does that make sense? So make sure you're substituting and I'm asking for 30 minutes a day. 
Just 30 minutes a day is kind of what I'm saying. And of course, if you want to go longer than that, amen. I mean, you know, but I'm just saying, can you just do at least 30 minutes a day of prayer and seeking the Lord and his will for your life? What he wants for your life and certainly corporately as a church body praying uh, together as this church. And again, we're not fasting for land per se as much as Lord, whatever you want for us, let your will be done. Amen. So that's really the heart of it. And then taste and see that the Lord is good. Just taste and see that it's true that we live on his word, not on every, on his word and his word alone, more than bread alone, that we live on his word, that his word is good. He feeds our souls, right? And so this acrostic is a simple acrostic to help keep us in mind of what we're going to be fasting about. And so 21 days of prayer and fasting, uh, beginning, I mentioned this last week, will begin uh, tonight at sundown, and then end November 19th, right before Thanksgiving, so you can have all the feasting you want, okay? And um, 30 minutes a day, if we have 100 people, which I know we'll have more than that, that would be 3,000 minutes a day. There's 1,440 minutes in a day, so we can accomplish more together than we can alone, by the way. And so we're going to be praying for double the amount of minutes that there is and is, even is in a day if you do this with us. And I would love to see 200 of you do this and sign up for prayer and fasting and commit to doing this for the next 21 days. And then we'll just see whatever he does. Is that okay? All right. So that's what I'm going to ask you uh, to do. And if you are willing to do that in the very back when you walk out in our Brave Central kind of area back there, there's a sign that says 21 days of prayer and fasting. You're going to see some signatures on there. I'm going to ask for you to take the Sharpie marker and just put your name on it. If you'll commit to praying for 30 minutes a day for the next 21 days, and then you can fast however the Holy Spirit leads you. Sound good? Anything unclear that I left unsaid? I don't think so. That's more for me. That was rhetorical. You don't have to answer that. And... Um, and that's really, that's it. And let me just say this about a building, and I'll, I'll land it with this. We would love to have a place to get rooted. I just want to answer it. And I've, and I've created some new signs that will stay out ongoing. Um, it says, our brave story and our future. Our brave future. And, um, and we are praying uh, and believing and asking God for a place to call home, a place to get rooted. But I just want you to know this now. For some of you who have been a part of building campaigns before, land campaigns with churches or whatever. I just want you to know that as a church body, and I say this, it's true. I've done, I've done set up teardown ministry. I've been in ministry 16 years. I have been in set up teardown in two churches, right? Bridgeway and this one. 13 years of my 16 years of ministry are set up teardown. So listen, I've, I know how to do this thing. I've been doing it a long time. My entire ministry career. I'm convinced if the Lord does return soon, because I know a lot of people are thinking about that with Ezekiel 38 and 39, what's happening in Israel right now in Turkey going in. And so if you're following all that stuff, but I'm convinced and I just, I've already surrendered to the Lord. I am going to be over set up tear down in heaven. So you don't have to worry about it. I mean, a couple of you said, some of you guys that are with me now, you might be helping out too, just a kind of heads up. But hey, we'll set up and tear down in heaven. I'm sure we'll be fine. We'll have all the energy we need, you know? So no pain, no joint pain, no back pain. This will be great. <laughs> yeah, just be rolling carts. Hey, man, still doing it. Yeah. How much longer? Eternity. This is fantastic. Um, but, but we would love to have a place to call home. And here's, and here's why. Uh, because at the end of the day, a building is a tool. And I want to speak this even over us and with us. A building is a tool. It's not a goal. We do not have a goal of getting a building. We would like to have a building because it's a tool. It allows us to do more. 
You know, it allows us to expand. It gives us more opportunity, more resources to be able to equip people, you know, with the uh, gifts and the kingdom of God and his love and stuff like that. So just understand, we, under, we see it as a tool, not as a goal. Does that make sense? I think it's important to have in our hearts um, for whatever God has for us, all right? So that's it. That's gonna be the sermon today. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll be dismissed. Before we dismiss us and we, and we close out in prayer, uh, let me just say, if you can help today, by grabbing some chairs and putting it away. If you're able to stay in and help tear some of this stuff down so we get out to the fields a little faster and uh, get the food thing going and all of that and have some fun. Hey, if you're new with us today, thank you for being here. There's that first-time guest card uh, in your pouch. Please fill that out. Uh, I'll call you this week or one of our staff members will as well or send you a text and just get to know you and say hello, welcome to our church and we're glad to have you here with us. If you have a prayer need, we're gonna be here all day for the next, or not all day, but for a couple of hours. So if you need prayer for anything today, uh, we're not gonna have the altar team down front, but certainly um, if you need prayer today, if you have anything at all you need, we wanna be here for you to support you, all right? Let me pray for us and then I'll dismiss you. And then you can go sign in the back if you would. I would love to have at least 100 signatures. That'd be awesome. If not, all of you sign up. If you wanna commit to fasting for 21 days, please, please, please go sign that uh, in the very back. Uh, and then grab an Operation Christmas Child box on the way out. We have about 50 more boxes we want to get rid of. So I'll pray for us. Jesus, it's your church. You told me that a minute ago, even during our songs and singing today, that it's, uh, it's, your, it's your body, it's your people, not mine. Everything that has happened in this church for the past uh, seven years is because of you. It's not a result of me or any team uh, it's ultimately you doing it all. You draw your flock in, not me. Uh, Jesus, we enter this uh, time of prayer and fasting because we just wanna re-surrender as we were singing that song earlier today. That is a perfect song to sing for today. We just re-surrender our lives. We re-surrender our time. We re-surrender our gifts. And, um, and where you call us, Lord will follow and, and I pray, Father, for your people that as they pray and fast, Lord, and seek you and seek your will, that we'd have the courage to do what you tell us to do. We'd have the strength to, to fulfill it, and you'd help us to live and be more like you, Jesus, and trust you. And sometimes it's hard to trust you fully, even though it should be so easy, but we question you, and we shouldn't. You're the creator of the world. And so I say now, God, that we want to trust you more, and so we pray that line of, Lord, give us greater faith. Give us more faith.